Welcome to the Waymaker Fireside Chat Podcast, where our purpose is to grow your life and change the world. In this episode, we sit down with Christina Norman. Lewis Carr is the founder of Waymaker, the Lewis Carr Internship Foundation, the Blueprint Men's Summit, president of media sales at BET Networks, and author of Dirty Little Secrets. Christina Norman is a creative executive who is currently the head of content for the National Basketball Players Association. She has helped launch, transform, and grow numerous brands. And today, she will be discussing her career and her advice for Waymaker listeners. Let's get started. Welcome to the Waymaker Fire Science Channel. And today, we have as our special guest, Christina Norman, head of content for the National Basketball Players Association. Welcome, Christina. Thank you so much, Lewis. It's really an honor to be here. Uh, well, it's an honor to have you. I've known you for years. Uh, and uh, Christina, when I was doing my background and research, I realized that you are a real baller shot caller, all right? Uh, you have been the president of MTV. You've been the president of VH1. You've been the CEO of the Oprah Winfrey Network, and now you are working at the National Basketball Players Association. How would you describe yourself? Are you a corporate executive or a content creator? How does Christina describe her own self? So I guess I describe myself as a work in progress. Um, As much as I would love to sort of take one title or another, I hate boxes. And, you know, I think that what I love to be able to bring to what I do is part creativity, business experience, innovation, curiosity, and push that forward into hopefully finding something new. Christina, very few people have had as many high profile jobs as you had. So I'm sure as the audience is listening to this, they're saying, how the hell did she get those jobs? Tell us about your journey to those jobs. Yeah, you know, I've I've been really fortunate in my career. I've had uh, amazing people who've championed and supported me. And I know we're going to talk about that a little bit later. Um, You know, I grew up in the South Bronx here in New York. My parents are Caribbean. My mom's from Puerto Rico. My dad's born in the Virgin Islands. Um, You know, my parents are pretty traditional people. And this working in this field, being attracted to this entertainment industry was something that was really uncomfortable for them. And, you know, like, what do you mean you're going to freelance? Like, you know, when I think about my husband, I talked about this the other day. We were the original gig workers back in the day. Right. But like, what do you mean you're going to freelance? What do you mean you're not going to go to someplace every day? What do you mean that job you're on ends tomorrow? Did you get fired? Like, no, we're just done. So I got really excited by being on set, by being a part of the creative process, by helping make a creative vision happen. I started mostly working in television commercials in New York um, back in the day. Uh, And then at the time, Spike Lee was really sort of bursting onto the scene and the whole black film world was kind of exploding. And I got really, had to find a way. How am I gonna get in there? What am I gonna do? If Spike ever listens to this, they never would hire me over 40 acres. I don't know what I did, but they would never hire me. Um, But I ended up working on an independent film called Death by Temptation, which was a black horror movie. And that was really my start of 
feeling that I could actually forge a career in this industry. Um, you know, we were a low budget movie, but I, so I got a chance to try out a number of different jobs. So initially I really wanted to be a producer. I saw myself as a creative. I wanted to write. I definitely saw myself in that behind the camera role. Um, and then I don't say life interrupted, but a lot of things evolved and changed in my life. I got married um, and I had a kid. And my husband and I were sort of like, and my husband also works in the film business. He does sound for film and television. And at that point it was like, well, we both can't be freelance. Somebody needs to go and get a real job and get health insurance. And, um, and I'd been freelancing a lot at MTV and a job opened up um, in the production management department, but in the production management that was serving the promos team on air promotion at the time was really a creative playground at MTV. <clears throat> Um, and I was able to get that that gig. And that started me on a path of discovery with an MTV that I didn't even think was possible at the time. Um, you know, cable, as you know, Lewis, was new. Um, it, at the time, didn't pay as well. So a lot of people were still trying to get on that broadcast side and weren't really looking at cable. Um, so you were able to sort of maneuver, I guess I would say, or at least I was able to maneuver a little more freely. There were a lot of women in positions of authority then, um, you know, a lot of people who were willing to take a chance on this emerging industry. And MTV was the kind of place where you could just make something happen. I could make a suggestion. I could be heard. I could be, I could contribute. I could be part of a team. And that was really an exciting time. Um, you know, I, I'm still friends with a lot of the people that I came up with at MTV. And as you know, from your BET experience as well, you walk into a room, you see one of those people sitting on the other side of the table, you're like, okay, we're good. Like, we know, I know what you know, you know what I know. I know that you work hard. I know that you make it happen. And that that was a great ethic uh, to be a part of. So, so, so Christina, the, the interesting thing about your career is, is that you went from a creative to an executive. Yeah. I've known people to go from an executive to a creator, but not from a creator to an executive. How did that happen? So I was a production manager. So I was really on the business side for on-air promotions. Um, at the time, there were no shows on MTV for anybody who's listening, you know, you, 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 there was a time when MTV actually played music videos and on-air promos made all the cool things that aired between the videos. So we did these art breaks and we did animated IDs and we did all sorts of beautiful visual storytelling. And I was on the team that helped the producers realize that vision. Um, I was able to move from my production management role to having a more active role in the leadership of the promos department. Promos at the time were shot on film and because of my independent film background, I was familiar with film, whereas most of the other uh, work we, that, the, that MTV did was shot on videotape. And, you know, so we were kind of like white glove specialists. And, you know, I always call the promos department was sort of like a little bit the Island of Misfit Toys, a little bit art school rejects, but people who were wildly creative. And my job was to help them realize that vision. So that's, again, that place where I sort of think of myself as somebody who I have to understand a creative vision, but then I also have to figure out how to make it happen. And that's a skill that I think I carry forward with me in everything that I do. Um, what I didn't know at the time we were doing on-air promos was that that's really now called marketing. <laughs> and 
and uh, and that that was an actual real job that people could have. I was like, oh, um, and I was able to through the work that I did, and you know, we did we did promo, promo campaigns for all the video music awards, working with people like Chris Rock, working with people like um, Ben Stiller, Adam Sandler, all of those kind of like up and coming names at the time. Um, we also started, as MTV started to make more shows, make commercials for our shows. Um, and then a lot of the work that we did that I was really proud of was our advocacy work. Back then we called it pro-social work, but MTV was one of the first networks to air a PSA about condom usage. Wow. You know, that was a big deal for us to do that, to take on hate crimes. Uh, uh, there was, uh, after Matthew Shepard was killed in the early 90s, I guess this was, uh, MTV went dark for the whole day. And we just scrolled the names of victims of hate crimes across the country. So being a part of that sort of an organization where you could, as Judy McGrath would say, bring your whole self to work was really important to me. Um, but through that work, I was able to learn a lot about marketing, start to really understand what marketing was. You know, MTV had a unique way of speaking to the audience. You know, we didn't talk down to the audience. We spoke to the audience. The audience expected a high level of creativity from the work that we did. We delivered that. And they expected innovation. And ultimately, I was tapped to be the head of marketing at MTV, um, which was an incredible opportunity, uh, a great time and a period of, of incredible growth for me personally. Um, marketing at the time was really sort of like one of the paths to the top. Tom Freston, who was our chairman at the time, um, had come up through marketing. Judy McGrath, who was running MTV, had come up through marketing. So if you came up through marketing, which, and really what I think that speaks to is being an incredible steward for the brand and really making sure that you can communicate the brand both to audiences, to advertisers, to affiliate partners, but it really was a centerpiece of how we engaged all on all of those levels. Um, so being the head of marketing was a big stepping stone for me. Um, in 2002, after uh, you know being in the marketing role for a, a while, um, the position to run VH1 opened. And I think that was a case for me where um, you know, you don't know what you don't know. Because if I would have thought about it for five minutes, I would have said, no, that's I, I, I don't know how to run a network. What are you doing? Um, but I really believe that Judy McGrath, who offered me that role, was not going to let me fail and was going to be there to support me and help me. And VH1 was at the time, like in the basement, um, you know, from a ratings perspective, it had kind of lost its relevance and its way with the audience. It was a very white brand. Um, you know, they didn't play, I think they played like Mariah Carey. It was like the most they would do at the time. Um, and what I saw was an opportunity to take this nostalgia halo that VH1 had and open the aperture and make it more accessible to people. I have nostalgia for what I grew up with. It wasn't the same thing that some other folks grew up with. So going to VH1 and really cracking it open and making the world see that they can find a place for themselves there is something I'm unbelievably proud of. The team that we built, the programming that we made, um, you know, flavor, flavor, flavor of love. Okay, I'm sorry about that. Um, but there, are, but there were things like hip hop honors that you know we really were able to claim that nostalgia halo, honor those artists, honor that history and that legacy, and. In, put out the welcome mat at VH1 to a bunch of people who had only seen a do not enter sign for a long time. So now you're at the National Basketball Players Association. Tell our audience 
what that organization does and what do you do there? For yeah, them? so uh, very often I'll tell somebody where I work and they'll say, oh, you work at the MBA? And I'm like, mm, no, we're not the MBA. So the way I tell people to think about it is it's labor and management, right? The MBA is management. The NBPA is labor. So we're the union that represents the 450 active players in the National Basketball Association. Um, you know, you may ask yourself, why do these players need a union? Um, and you, if you take a look back at the history, you'll find a time when, uh, especially the black players in the union, had to go around the back door to get into a hotel, couldn't stay in the hotel where the white players did, weren't paid equally. Um, so the union has been a very powerful advocate for the rights of players um, and making sure that they, now I think what the union does in addition to that, is really helps them look at what's next in their lives. This is a great moment that they have as athletes, but how are they being, how are they preparing themselves for what's next and seeing all the opportunities that can exist now. Um, I work in the division of the MBPA called Think 450. And we represent, again, as I said, the 450 players in the NBA. And we really do think about all 450 of them. Our goal is to help them see how they can monetize their name, image, and likeness rights, and for us to create opportunities for them to monetize all their other rights, for them to be involved in content, for them to be involved in licensing deals, et cetera. As the head of content, my role here is to tell their stories, partner with them to tell their stories, be their storyteller, be a, a resource for the stories that they want to tell, be a connector, um, and make sure that you know, I'm, I'm really interested in changing the way that the world sees these men and sees what they can contribute um, and sees them as more than just an athlete. So that's a lot of the work that I focus on. So how has the organization changed during this reckoning of social social yeah. awakeness, I guess I would call it. Yeah, no, this has been, so I started in 2019, right? And I had all these grand visions of what I was gonna do, what I was gonna make, and then COVID, and then everything comes to a screeching halt. But during the summer of 2020, um, you know, May of 2020, the players are all sitting around, there's, there's a rumbling about a return to, to play, and then George Floyd is murdered. And our players take to the streets along with everyone else and really stepped up in a way that I think was unexpected um, uh, by, by some people. And I saw that as an opportunity for an incredible storytelling uh, moment. And we created and produced a documentary film called Game Change Game that really chronicles and documents that time and that season. Uh, it takes a look at the activism of the players and you know, as they were inspired, we were inspired to make sure that that moment and, and their contribution in it was not unnoticed. Uh, we go inside the bubble with the players. We follow the players through that time of, you know, them in many ways saving sports, right? Like none of us had anything to do. And then all of a sudden there's relief. There's something to celebrate. There's something to be a part of. And the fact that they stood up and asked for accountability and used their moment to not just be about a game, but to be about something more than a game. So it's a film that we, uh, it's a two hour documentary. It just had its premiere at the Tribeca Film Festival a few weeks ago. Um, we're we're uh, uh, scouting for distribution right now. But I think what it really has done is celebrate that moment in the players, keep a focus on what needs to happen. This is not just, we're not done as everyone knows. Um, even though I unfortunately had an experience with a distributor who, when I went to go pitch the idea, said, oh, aren't we moving on from that now? 
And I was like, yeah, I, I'm not. Um, and neither are our players and neither can they. Um, but that they are, you know, they're of this community, they represent this community and that they really stepped up in a way that is leading this community. So um, I, I think how it's changed is that, you know, it's something that someone says in, in the film that back in the day, it used to be, you know, only one or two players had a platform and they used it. Now, because of social media and everything else, every player has a platform and they're seeing what their influence can be. And, and really being able to celebrate that is a big part of what, uh, what we've been able to do with the film. Okay. So, Christina, when you think about your role, how do you help these players sort of see the next version of themselves? We, we, we used to have this era where players would say, hey, I'm an athlete. I'm not a role model. What is your role and how do you engage with the players to say either, okay, I agree with that, or you need to think about yourself differently? Listen, the beauty of 450 players is that everyone can have their own path and has their own possibility. So what works for one doesn't necessarily work for another. Um, I was at an event last night and I ran into Patty Mills, who plays for the Nets, and we've had a little bit of opportunity to work together. And, you know, Patty is an incredible advocate. He uses his platform for all sorts of good. You know, we're, we're in conversations now on some kids programming ideas. And I'm like, let's talk about this. Let's figure out how we can use this platform to spread what you wanna do. So that works for him. Um, I wanna do game shows. I'm, I have a Christmas movie in development. You know, my, my job is to present possibility. And for players, you know, Tamika Tremaglio is our new executive director here, and she talks about imagining the possible. And it's like, that's exactly what my job is, is to put possibilities in front of players who may not think of themselves as creative in that way. And maybe maybe their role is to be an executive producer. Maybe their role is to help shape something. Maybe their role is to learn how something gets put together. And, and that's a, a role that they want to play. You know, I love the success of Spring Hill um, and, and, you know, uh, uh, Seth, uh, Steph Curry's company as well, it shows that there's not one way to do this. There are lots of different ways to do this. And I think if anything, I can help uh, expose players to those possibilities. Be, as I said, be a resource, be a partner, bring them in, let's make great content together. And you know, hopefully we can all benefit. That's great. So Christina, we here at Waymaker, we believe that every successful person has had Waymakers. Can you tell us about some of the Waymakers yep. that have helped you uh, along your journey? Yeah, um, I always talk about my Titi, my Aunt Lillian, who was the first person in my family, my mom's sister, who um, held a corporate job. She worked in HR for Warner Publishing back in the day, and she worked at 30 Rock. And she, you know, she had to get dressed up to go to work, and as a Puerto Rican woman, she also had to not bring her whole self to work. She had to hide some of who she was because nobody really was looking for that. Um, she had to be tough as nails in order to succeed in that corporate work role. Um, and so she was a huge inspiration to me. She taught me how to show up. She taught me um, you know, that you are always being judged. Everybody's always looking at you and that you have to sort of be prepared for that. She taught me to be prepared. She told me how to like, I used to go to her office sometimes and she let me answer the phones and, um, you know, getting people's names right, 
following attention to detail, all those kind of things that in a corporate environment, it was, how else would you know that? How else would you get that? So she was a huge, huge influence uh, on me. Um, uh, from a work-life perspective, I always talk about Judy, Judy McGrath, who was uh, the head of MTV when I was running promos. And uh, she had been a writer in the promo department. So she had a real affinity and love for our group. Um, and she was the first person to ask me, where do you see yourself? What do you want to do here? And that, they, that something like that could be possible for me was kind of a revelation in some way. Um, you know, my husband is also an unbelievable way maker for me, uh, Charles Hunt. Um, you know, he makes all of this, he's helped me make all of this possible. You know, there's always this talk about can women have it all, et cetera. You can have it all. You cannot have it all at the same time. And you certainly cannot have it all without a lot of help. And I've had a lot of help in that regard. So having a husband who supported me, who believed in me, who said, when I called and said, this asshole boss is, you know, needs me to stay here late. He's like, then stay there, stay there and get the work done. Don't let them say that you can't do it. So those are some of the people for me that have been huge standouts. So as this super successful executive and creative, do you feel any stress and pressure that you have to help other women along the way? Uh, you name two of your three way makers were women. Do you feel pressure sometimes that, hey, I got to do the same? Um, I wouldn't call it pressure. Um, I think it's I think it's always the responsibility. I'm not here unless Deborah Lee is where she is. I'm not here unless Judy is where she is or Jerry Laybourne or all those other women. So even back in the day, getting a note of encouragement from one of them was sometimes all, all the fuel your soul needed to move forward. Somebody sees me, somebody thinks I can do it. So there's lots of different ways to be helpful and supportive of people. Um, sometimes you can be an ear and listen. Sometimes you are you know, a sponsor and more actively involved in someone's career. But many times being seen is a huge part of this. So I definitely feel the responsibility to help young women. And I also, um, I want this to come across the right way, but I got a text from a um, somebody who worked on one of, you know, we, he didn't report directly to me, but he worked in, uh, in my organization and he had been at a concert and he said he had a moment of revelation where he saw something and it made him think of something that I had worked on. And he just wanted to say thank you because I inspired him. And that's like, what's better than that? To know that like, even if you, that you walked through your roles in a way that was the model and the example that you wanted to be. So to that point, Christina, uh, people listening to your story will try to try to figure out how did she do this and how did she get over to do this? Can we talk about transferable skills for a moment? Because I don't think a lot of people understand how important that is when you're sort of making moves especially at your level. What are some of the core fundamental skills that you learned early in your career that gave you the ability to do a lot of different things as you have done? Um, some of it's basic stuff, Lewis, and you know this too, you know, uh, do what you say you're going to do. That's the most transferable skill that there is, you know, like be 
true to your word. If you are dependable to people, that is gold, I think, in many ways. Um, you know, leadership skills, I think, and I've been fortunate to be in a lot of leadership positions, um, you know, don't throw your people under the bus, stand up for your team, um, be clear, be a clear communicator. Uh, you know, those are the kinds of skills that I think everybody needs in any role. Um, you know, somebody once told me when I was at own that the job of the CEO is like basically to do three things, set the vision, uh, make sure you hire the right people, make sure they have the resources and let them go. And those are the most important things that I, that I still carry with me. What is the vision? What are we trying to get done? Who do I have around me? Um, because who am I trusting? Who and, 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 no, and trusting in them to do the roles that they are there for, um, not micromanaging people, but and getting things out of their way, clearing the decks for folks. That's an incredibly powerful transferable skill um, because when I've always found when I've empowered people who work with me, um, they wanna work twice as hard. They want, you know, they, they absolutely want the opportunity to shine themselves. So uh, I would be remiss if I didn't ask you this question, Christina. Uh, you worked for Oprah Winfrey uh, at the OWN Network. Tell us what is the one or two things that she taught you in being in that position of running her network? You know, the one thing I will say that she did teach me more than anything is that love is in the details. It like all those things matter. Every little thing actually does matter. How you remembering someone's name, how you present yourself in a room. Um, we, we, we go to so many events, all of us, and we sort of take a look around and see how are you presenting? That, you know, that, that's all you know, what we call branding, I suppose, in some way. But that love really is in the details. And that's what makes you memorable. That's what makes you successful in many ways is attention. You know, because really what that says is I care enough to pay attention to things. That's great. Well, Christina, I want to thank you so much for doing this. I know you are super busy. Uh, you, you have one of those jobs and you're one of those industries that require your time. Someone's pulling on you all the time. But we really appreciate you sharing your journey and what you're currently doing as a waymaker and the waymakers who help you along the way. We hope that your story will inspire our audience and we look forward to engaging with you in the near future again. So thank you so much, Christina. Thank you, Lewis. And I have to thank you so much for being a waymaker yourself and for providing this resource and opportunity. Um, I'm flipping through some of the issues. And as you said, you think you know people and then you find out things that you didn't know about people. And everyone's journey is so inspiring in so many ways. And I, I, I really do think that, you know, when you talk about responsibility, the responsibility that you've taken on to make sure that this is shared is something I, I deeply appreciate. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. And hope you have a great weekend. You too. All right. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye. 
Thank you so much for listening to this conversation between Lewis Carr and Christina Norman. What did you enjoy about this episode? Let us know on our social media at Waymaker Culture. Don't forget to claim your Waymaker Journal at waymakerjournal.com and be sure to enter the Waymaker giveaway by going to waymakercontest.com. Subscribe to the Waymaker Fireside Chat podcast to get notifications each time we release an episode. 